Greetings and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I have a return guest on. Her name is Lisa Brees Linka. She is Director of Operations at PAS Family Advocacy. And the last time she was on, which was Season 3, Episode 115, back on September 26, 2022, we discussed the corrupt family court and the judge's insurance policies. And we're going to discuss that a little bit deeper into our topic today. So I welcome you back, Lisa. And how are you doing? Thank you for having me back, Marianne. Um, I am doing great. And um, it's good to be here again to pick up um, where we left off on, on this very important issue with hopefully um, teaching parents of some sort of relief methods or research strategies other than filing motions mm -hmm. going after the insurance. So if a parent wants to go after their um, the, the uh, bonds or the insurances, why not call their own insurance company and file a complaint that harm has been done? Sure. I mean, you could do that, but it would probably not be taken as serious as when you submit the proper, I guess, FOIA request or I also submitted with the um, Freedom, it's the Freedom of Information Act and then the Sunshine Act as well. And if anyone needs to see a copy of this or what it looks like, I'll share. But with that, the insurance, um, I'm sorry, the state actors are obligated to hand over their insurance information, their bond information, because it's public record. But if you're just inquiring, saying this person calls me harm, I it's going to just, you know, in one ear, not the other. Mm -hmm. um, if you can, okay, so let's say you do call the insurance company and say, hey, I've got all of this. And they're asking you, when was the date of the, the, the first incident? And then you have more evidence of what they did to you. And then they want, you know, they want you to send that through, which I did. <laughs> and she seemed to take me seriously. Okay. So I'm going to do a follow-up call, as we talked about earlier, and see what has happened with that. But a motion, you were talking about a motion to file prior to all this? Well... A lot of people think that relief can be granted in federal and God bless them if they do um, have success in that route. But when we're when we're filing motions, we're basically asking the court to do something. And we're basically the court's master if we really look at it that way. We shouldn't be asking our master to do something. We should be demanding that. And so if you want to take, if anyone wants to take a chance of filing a motion and having it be denied and all that hard energy and effort they put into it, it's really frustrating. This is again, where that legal abuse comes into play. Um, it's, it's just not worth it. And then federal court, again, these motions can be denied for simple um, grammatical errors or administrative errors. So mm -hmm. why take that chance again when 
we know a state actor is causing us harm. They're insured, so they don't cause us harm. So if we can retrieve that information, file a claim with insurance and let them handle it. Right. And these state actors, not um, not only are they judges, they're caseworkers, they're even the psychologists that were involved in your case. Yes. I mean, they, I really didn't have a psychologist involved in my case. I had a lot of incompetent professionals not, not doing proper diagnoses. I was bringing all this um, evidence to them. They were never listening that it was intimate partner violence in the DSM-5. They never referred to their own diagnostic tool. So with that, um, a claim for, it, it was the APA violations, um, 2.01, 3.04, and 9.01. Um, basically, that's been filed. Nothing ever came about it, but um, it's on record. But the state agents were forewarned. They were served with judicial notices. I personally have not received any information. I haven't sought out any insurance information in my, in my case, only for others that I am helping. Mm -hmm. I'm exhausted now. Layla's home and we're healing. And I'm thinking, you know, if my daughter wasn't home still, and I was still going through all that horrible trauma, I absolutely would proceed in that route with the insurance and any relief. But um, in this time frame where Layla and I are at, um, it's just, I, peace is more important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's hard when you don't have any justice at all. Uh, everyone says, well, you know, that just take the case to federal court. <laughs> and that is just like, I, I would not ever recommend federal court right. to anyone, especially as a pro se, because they're really not going to take you seriously. And in my case, the judge admitted he did not look at my exhibits and he just ruled them irrelevant. Wow. And so then, like you said, you have to go through all that energy to take it to the appellate court to have them pull the same thing. Right. It's just very frustrating. People need justice. They need remedy. They don't need it to take, it should not take 12 years Gosh, no. And that's, that's the sad part is um, when we, you know, file a motion, they'll set the court date. Um, and these things, they just keep continuing in these, again, administrative courts of commerce. It'll go on for years. And meanwhile, you have a son or daughter crying themselves to sleep every night, longing for their natural biological, you know, um, mother or father. And the courts don't care, hence why we have so many teens now with anxiety um, that are cutting themselves, that are promiscuous, doing drugs. They're from these broken homes. Um, judges don't care. CPS cares more about putting them in residential and medicating them. And again, this is all mon more money for the state. And if, if people could see clearly that the, the government does not have our best interest, mm -hmm. we've got a few ethical players left in this system. But I would say 98% is a cesspool of racketeering frauds. You know, um, if men and women, mothers and fathers stand up to CPS state agents and say, hell no, you're not taking my offspring. You're not coming into my property to do, to do an investigation on hearsay allegations. 
know your rights, know that they are insured, know that they are all under a political subdivision, the police, CPS, the courts, they all work for profit. So as a man and woman, we can't play this game for profit with our families. You know, I'm wondering when I had the CPS caseworker at my door, I just should have said, I'm not contracted with you. Please leave yeah. and just close the door in her face. <laughs> That's what if I could go back into 2014, I would have done that. Had I known. We don't know what we don't know. We think that they have all this power and authority. We're raised to you know, respect law enforcement or anyone in those governmental positions. Um, but once once we know, then we can change the, the, the game or the dialogue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they just, um, I don't know, like how this would work if they had a judge's warrant and they came with three policemen. You, you know, it's like, what would a parent do then? At least, I mean, that didn't happen to me. Man, I don't know what you'd do then if you said I'm not contracted with you and you're videotaping them, the whole thing, because they always, they always tell you to videotape them. Absolutely. And that's the thing. They, they have no lawful authority to come into your home or on your property without a warrant. So you can kindly tell them to leave and come back with a warrant. But if per se, they do come back with a warrant, then one should comply so it does they don't get arrested or even um physically hurt so. yeah it's it's just not right uh, everything i just think they should be abolished family court cps because all of these rotten players and like you said there are a few good ones left there are god bless them <laughs> okay <laughs> so sorry there that's okay running around <laughs> so yeah i mean parents just don't know enough and, and they don't know until it happens to them they're, they're not listening to other people's stories that's i think what a big problem is is they're not aware of what could happen God forbid. Right. And that, and that's the sad part, I think, with our society. People, a lot, my generalization is a lot of people think, oh, CPS or family courts involved, you must have done something wrong. People don't understand that this is happening to doctors, educators on simple false allegations. You could piss off your neighbor and they could call and say, I heard them beating their child. And then you have CPS at your door um, threatening to take your child. And especially uh, the other thing is they really bully the parents if the child has a diagnosis or is like on, on the autism spectrum or on medication. They'll find fault in that parent's treatment plan that they're not properly taking care of their um, child with a diagnosis. But again, the state gets way more money for children put into this system with these diagnoses. So I, I don't know what it's going to take other than um, every parent being as loud as they can to understand 
CPS agents don't have a lawful authority whatsoever. You know, I hear some parents, I see them calling them social workers. It's like, are you sure they're a social worker or are they just an inept caseworker? Because how do you know that's their degree? They can come into your house and say they're anything. Right. And, and that's the thing. These degrees can be checked with the Board of Behavior, Health and Science. Mm -hmm. And if you have a so-called caseworker, you can always go up the chain of command, contact their supervisor. And even um, a lot of these CPS um, organizations, agencies, they have a civil rights division that a lot of people don't know about. And if you make these civil rights claims um, under the color of law, it's there is a color of law form and try to get oversight on your case. Things can be done. The more pressure we put on them and more oversight with many eyes, not just one person, they're more um, inclined to oblige, comply, because they, they don't they don't want the they don't want to be told on it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so DCF will say, you know, this whole big alphabet soup, they would have a civil rights claim division. Yes, and I know um, loss, the DCFS in Los Angeles, they have their own civil rights. And I basically I helped a father file a color of law form with them. But unfortunately, his little girl's already been adopted out. So that basically that's on record per se if he does take that to federal he may actually because his little girl's been adopted but yeah that's that's sickening in itself that they can just terminate a parent's rights and uh and sometimes not even tell the parent there's a hearing taking place right this happens all the time and the other thing is you know attorneys judges police they have a database called Nexus Lexus that they actually use to target minority families. Hence why there's so much seizure of offspring from hospitals. So um, again, like, I don't know, again, there's, there's so many different things that if parents understand, first of all, once you have your, your offspring, your child at the hospital, then you're in the state's jurisdiction. When your son or daughter is enrolled in school, you're in the state's jurisdiction. Hence why CPS can go in and do whatever the hell they want. So what I, I've gone to the extreme of, um, I carry an affidavit of status with me. It mentions me and my daughter, how we're not under the political subdivision, blah, blah, blah. So basically they don't have any authority over me. And it's, it's sad that I have to carry this with me. Um, but I suggest to every parent to unincorporate themselves, um, fix with the Secretary of State the birth certificate for your offspring, for yourself, and um, take back your power as a man and woman under God's law, God's authority. Mm -hmm. And that also would mean taking your name out of caps, like hey, they have everything in all caps, your like let's say your motion or whatever, everything's all caps versus all caps. Right. You know, uh, someone may ask, okay, how do you do that? How do you get that affidavit? 
Well, David Strait is a good educator on this. And, you know, take take his knowledge, take what you wish, and then do your own research. Um, he does have an affidavit of status out there that people can refer to. And um, with that, I never, if I'm filing something before, even towards the end, I would never put my name in all caps because that's not, that's not me. Mm -hmm. And even I would also um, sign sui juris or woman and um, just really not play their game and be mindful even of like certain legalese words such as child, best interest of the child. So if you're going to go this route of more common law, changing your status, just know what you're talking about. Black's Law Dictionary is a good reference point um, to look some of these words up in and you will find that they mean the exact opposite in the court's eye. So you really want to be mindful of legalese when doing common law. Definitely. Uh, I noticed that when I was reading the Black's Law, I think we were even talking about this possibly in our last podcast, but it is like double speak. It's like, you know, there were terms that I heard and now I'm reading in Black's Law Dictionary. Like, how did it get this so far uh, out of control uh, that they've changed and switched around twisting words? Right. Legalese. Legalese. I mean, you know, I, I'm in my first semester of law school and that's very disappointing. My professors um, have, you know, been contracted by the government for family and juvenile court. And one of my contracts professor is teaching me that they use common law in these courts. They don't. And I tried to let her know, no family court, juvenile courts, all contracts. And when you bring common law in there, they get really pissed off. And basically she said that there's a statute that overrided like any federal thing. And it's just really hard to, she also said that whoever pays you is retaining you. So who basically, who cares about anyone else? If they're paying you, you have a job to do. It's really gross. They don't mm -hmm. teach law in law school. One, one of my friends said, uh, you we were nurses together. She said, they go to law school to learn how to lie. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's slimy. But, yeah, you know, I... with, with with this, though, I feel like at times the only way to create change is from um, within. I have no desire to litigate um, if I finish this degree. Once I finish this degree, it's more to create change from to tackle the bar and bring more awareness to such the level of fraud with the bar, hence the name in all caps, mm -hmm. corporations, why they don't have to follow it, why they don't follow the ethical code of conduct. Because do, I mean, corporation, you have a corporation and a living soul. Like you're basically dealing with banking and you think law, it's, it, it's two totally different things. You know, I just did a podcast with Ricardo Collins this past week. I think it was Thursday. And um, it was very interesting because we were talking about this same thing and taking your name out of the caps. And I, I think you put a hyphen or maybe not put a hyphen between your first name and your last name. Semi -cool? I I Possibly. Yeah, it's a semi.
yeah, this is just, uh, that was fascinating. And now we're talking about this affidavit of status. Do you, is this something you can write up yourself and take it to a notary? I'm, I'm sorry, there are kids in the background and, and I, something about, yes, you definitely have to get the affidavit notarized. Absolutely. Is that what you? Yes. I mean, is this something a parent can write up themselves or? They can. And, and I, I'm, I, I can, I can share, I can email it to you. You can share it, but again, you can find um, this online. David Strait has it. There's okay. Status out there. And not everything will apply. And I also, again, please do your research. You can't just file this and not know what you're talking about. Because mm -hmm. like, that's how some parents can get arrested. Um, if they're bringing common law into a court, you, you, you have to file a notice of special appearance. Basically, that you're coming to appear as a living man or woman, not under the, their legal fiction. So... It can get complex. So that would be different from an entry of appearance. When you file, say, a lawsuit, you have to enter, enter your entry of appearance. Yeah, this is a notice of special appearance. Okay. Okay, so those are two different things. I Yeah. See, no one would know this stuff until we talk about it and get this word out. Yeah, I, I had no idea um, either, you know, but when I did file the notice of special appearance, the weird thing is my my ju judge or judicial referee, Daniel Belsky at the time, they, they did this weird ceremony honoring the flag, almost like it because common law was being brought into the court and not one statute was cited that whole hearing. It was pretty miraculous. Huh. You know, I even wonder if these judges honor their own judicial canons. No, I mean, no, they, I think they, some do, some do. There's one in San Diego that I've seen who's very honorable. Um, but the rest, if they're incorporated and they can get away with everything, and hence why they have like the immunity, they can do whatever they want, make, make um, biased rulings use their opinion, make, you know, their opinions, thinking this mother's crazy, this father's crazy and rule against them. They're not supposed to do that. And even in their articles of incorporation for when they become incorporated, it clearly states that they're not to practice like that law aspect from the bench. So when you went into law school, you thought it would be, you know, um, on the up and up? would you say, or normal schooling? You didn't, it came to you as a shock that they're teaching you something that goes against the grain of morality? My professors, they're amazing women, but I think what they're teaching us is not what I have witnessed in the courtroom, not what a lot of parents have witnessed in the courtroom. Um, I... I just, you know, it's really dumbfounding. It's been disheartening. I can't tell you, you know, again, I'm only in my first semester and there's been several times when I said, I, I don't, I don't know if this is going to be for me because it's just disheartening that you have parents that in my class students, they're not aware of the family court corruption. 
They're not aware of all, all of the, the unethical practices that are happening. So I don't know what I thought, but I didn't think that um, it it's slimy. It's slimy. Mm -hmm. Sure. I mean, when you retain an attorney, this is what happened to me is I retained this fellow and we were talking at his desk, you know, I was telling him what was going on. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, I said something like, um, well, what, what do you want to talk about? Because I mean, I had things written out as to what I was going to tell him. And he kind of said, whatever you want to talk about. Kind of like, <laughs> you know what to think of that. Okay, so I, I just went through my whole chronological events of hell and told him that. And then that evening, I get a phone call at 630 with him screaming on the phone that he can't help me unless I have $30,000. Wow. And I said, well, I'm just trying to explain. I was, I was calm <laughs> and rational as a nurse would be when someone's you know, someone's not doing well in the ICU or whatever. And I said, I'm just trying to explain to you what has happened to my career and uh, my financial status. It's only fair to you that you know my financial status. Mm -hmm. And he was, I don't know, maybe he had a bad day. I, I don't know. But I've never gotten a phone call from an attorney at 6.30 at night mm -hmm. <laughs> screaming at me at the top of his lungs. <laughs> That's repulsive. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't retain him. <laughs> Unfortunately, I had to. I, I was, uh, yeah, my back was up against the wall because the lawyer I had previously withdrew from a case that was an emergency petition and she did it, of course, she does it at 4.50 p.m. on Friday to say she's withdrawing. Why? Mm -hmm. I don't know. There was poor communication. I was not nagging her, nothing like that. Um, all I said to her when we were in an, an attorney's meeting with the opposing side, I said, look, I said, no one's going to get full custody because it's all shared parenting. And she goes, no, shush, shush, shush. She was shushing me. Yeah. And I'm like sitting here going, why? I don't know. I'm just, I thought I was stating the truth because it, because we had been 50, 50 for 10 years. <laughs> I don't know why we're doing this now. Yeah. So she did that. And I called one of my nursing friends and she says, oh, pick that guy. He's the one who screwed me over. He's pretty good. Oh. So I called up that office and they said, yeah, we'll see you on Monday. And uh, because the peti emergency petition wasn't going to take place until Tuesday. And um, he explained to me that his underling would have to go in there with me on Tuesday to stand before the judge. And uh, because he had to be in court. I mean, I know this is I caught them off guard. It's not like we had time to plan this. You know, and we uh, we were successful, at least in that on that day. <laughs> but you, you just don't know when you're going into this, when you get an emergency petition and then you have an attorney withdraw immediately 
what is the problem? Right. And I, I was telling this attorney, this male attorney, you know, I don't know why she would do this. I don't know. I said, you know, this is what happened. I told her, told him what had happened throughout the whole relationship I had with this female attorney. And then it took him two months to say, I believe everything you said. Everything you said about her was true. Well, you see, there's, again, that performance bond, bid bond, and payout bond. So maybe that attorney knew something or, you know, who knows what goes on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But it is one big bracket. And again, when we when we are hiring an attorney, we're basically telling the court that we are incompetent um, to stand before the court. And yeah, we are with statutes and codes because we don't speak code. But fair justice comes from real law, common law for the mm -hmm. common folk. No. But again, payout bond, bid bond, um, performance bond. That's that's what keeps my mind with your attorney dropping out. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it, it was strange because that day we were sitting there. Uh, she she did walk in to give my new attorney an update. God oh. knows what she was telling her. <laughs> but you know, you know, when she came in, she looked at me and kind of smiled. I'm thinking, what? You put me under this emotional duress. Mm -hmm of trying to find someone within 10 minutes before their law firm closed. That's too much. It's not normal what we have to go through. All the heightened, uh, you know, emotions, the highs and lows. I mean, what it does to our internal, our central nervous system, anxiety, CPTSD, even after the court stuff is over, CPTSD is still present. Mm -hmm. So again, so much harm is being caused across this nation to so many parents, yourself, myself, that I think I really do feel like the only way to go to start making change is if we can file somehow, hold one of them accountable at a time, at like accountability, accountability, accountability. And then maybe we can just be that change that helped like you know what i mean that can create that path to say this is the the new remedy route i don't know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah instead of t instead of suing four parties at once say in federal court which is somehow you're you're gonna end up in there anyway right. if you want a large amount of money this is what i was told if you go to federal court you could get hundreds of thousands of dollars if you win but if you go through the lower court, I think they have a cap of, say, I don't know, maybe fifteen, twenty thousand is all you're going to get. I don't know. I mean, every yeah, state's for, different. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Here That's right. okay. Through the insurance, I, from what I gather, they will, they would want to settle out of court and not have it be prolonged, like any insurance claim. Um, and then from what I gather, we can also collapse these um, bonds so they can't practice anymore. Mm -hmm. That's what it when There's a civil rights advocate in California, and he's just amazing. His name is Wendell. That's what he's up to, trying to collapse some of the bonds after he files the claim. So we'll, uh, we'll see how, how successful he is, but... <laughs> Yeah, that is fascinating. A lot of people have been fascinated with this and have been contacting me for about the last year 
about these bonds and these insurance policies, these people, I, I think, aren't they like malpractice insurance policies that these lawyers carry? Yes. Negligence, malpractice. Yes. And negligence, even like it's torturous. In, it's in, infliction, torturous in, interference, all of it, whatever you want to call it, it's a tort claim. And the remedy for those um, is monetary compensation. But again, I know a lot of us, we just want our babies home. We just want the pain to stop. But if, if you can hold them accountable in some form if, and if you need money, then why not? You know, hmm. but that's, it's a tort. It's a tort claim. Negligence, malpractice. This person caused you harm. Right. Um, the thing is, there's that um, intentional infliction of, emo uh, of emotional duress. That's also a tort. Yes. Yes. We were just going over that in my torts class um, last week, and I had brought it to the uh, professor's attention. You know, is 18 USC 241, 242 um, torturous interference or a tort claim? And she said no. So deprivation of rights under the color of law would not be considered a tort claim, she said. Oh, no. Right. That's, again, it's very disheartening and disappointing, but... But I've seen some parents, you know, file tort claims against the other parent in civil court and, you know, have success. But again, you're just having more conflict for that son or daughter mm -hmm. you know, between the parents. If you can just remove the other parent, try to keep the family unity in whole and attack the people that know better that caused mm -hmm. harm. The thing is, some parents will try to get an attorney to take a federal court case and nobody wants to go in there. Nobody does. They don't want to go in there. Um, even if you have a claim that is there, you've, you've got the evidence, it, it's all in their lap and they still won't do it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know what you're doing there in federal court, I mean, you know, you do your best. Right. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't know what to say. You know, but some people have done well. There was a case where it was a reverend um, in Pennsylvania. He just finished his sermon and he also ran a school. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he's approached by two caseworkers that said, we're charging you with child sexual abuse and he freaked out totally freaked out and in the meantime you know he had lost you know this went around of course mm -hmm. he lost parishioners people pulled kids out of his school anyway he got an attorney you know in town and the attorney took it right to federal court he didn't he didn't go to the state court he just took it right in there got a jury won love it but he didn't win much. Mm -hmm. I mean, his reputation and the attorney said it very eloquently when he said it's like having, you know, a cup of cream and you put ink in it and you stir it and you're now trying to get the ink out of the cream and you can't. That person's reputation is ruined forever. 
Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if people would just knock it off, stop the evil, stop the lies, stop the hurt, you know, hurt people, hurt people, this world would be a better place. But whatever you can find relief, relief in, I think the path of least resistance is the best way to go. Mm -hmm. And again, it, it just leads me back to this. Okay. I didn't know that these people were insured when I was going through all of this. Mm -hmm. um, I would hear indemnity insurance. I didn't understand fully what it meant, but now, I mean, why not just skip all the other nonsense and go straight to if a state actor is causing you harm, say, okay, I demand your indemnity insurance information now, or send them the, the FOIA request to get that, to have, to, you'll let them know that you mean business basically. Mm-hmm. And then file claim. If they cause harm, they kidnapped your offspring, absolutely file claim. Mm -hmm. Or perjured themselves on the stand, which maybe you, you can or cannot prove because perjury, they say, is hard to prove. Yeah, I think that would be more of like a criminal matter. That's what I'm thinking because people lie all the time in family court and juvenile court mm -hmm. with no accountability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know if I had told you this, but that movie, The Judge, did I tell you about that movie, The Judge? Yeah, you had mentioned it. I guess. <laughs> where, where, where the son tells his father, dad, I mean, his father was a judge, dad, you know, everybody lies on the witness stand. <laughs> that was like, that part just hit me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, they all get away with it. I, I, you know, it's amazing what takes place on a witness stand. Yes. Yeah. And for the most part, remember, we have a lot of actors. We've got state actors. We, they're all acting. And we come in there as a real person with emotion dealing with actors and they're lying on us. And we're like, that's not true. And it's, it's not, once we realize that they're all acting, it helps us to separate the emotion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, most definitely. I don't want to take up your whole afternoon. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I just, I, I really want to encourage parents definitely to just educate yourselves on the laws, lawful versus legal, to understand that the state agents, they don't have a lawful authority. If um, anyone is contemplating um, going pro se or sui juris, I strongly encourage you to do so. There's a lot of um, just groups that can help you, that can share content with you as you're learning to represent yourself in court. But don't, if you don't, if you, if you can stay away from hiring an attorney, please do so because it's mm -hmm. all the name in all caps, your corporation then. Right. And you're going to get yelled at anyway, right. like I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brutal. Well, uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for popping on. And I'll have you on again, too. I know you're in school, so I won't be bothering you a whole lot. But <laughs> but uh, don't jump off. Slam the Gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I'm your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Lisa Bruce Lincoln in the future and other exciting guests. And I thank you again for popping on. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me, Marianne. It's always a pleasure.